0: All season four, episode two is over, but we're just getting started here on Better Call Saul post-show recap. And now here are the two guys whose spirit animals are gila monsters. I am Rob. I am Rob. I here with Antonio Mazzara. Antonio, how are
1: you? Rob, mine is a goldfish. I like to watch. Oh,
0: (laughs) (laughs) yes. Antonio, have you ever been responsible for clearing out a copier paper jam?
1: Oh, absolutely. For sure. I've worked in offices in, uh, for Delta and Kroger and large, large corporations. I've uh, had some experiences with copy machines, Rob. And I think you have been the, the quote unquote tech guy in an office or two yourself. Have you had to clear out any copier jams?
0: Yeah, I used to when I was to work in the insurance office. I was like my thing of like to be in charge of like changing the toner uh again the paper jam no science to it just start opening every single door until you uh find something if you get one of those fancy ones that has like the like blinking light of where to look that's helpful
1: i think what both of us are saying rob is that we're qualified to sell copy machines (laughs) sure yeah so why are we doing this i mean let's just go
0: we have a relationship uh with the machines uh like like no other oh my god why would you let us do this people what
1: are you crazy <laughs> well rob stubbornness and persuasiveness are two of your top qualities i've always said
0: yes okay here we are we are one fifth of the way through season four of uh better call Saul, <laughs> did you just drop
1: a fraction on us here yeah
0: yeah we're, we're two uh two tenths
1: <laughs> of the way there Antonio. okay you reduced it to one fifth i got it sorry about that i didn't mean to interrupt
0: yeah, 20% <laughs> of the way and uh we have uh, a lot to get to here as we uh, explore the lives of Jimmy and Mike and even uh Nacho and Gus this week.
1: Oh, how exciting. Yeah, there's there's many lives in play and some lives are no longer with us, Rob.
0: Yes, yes. Uh very sadly, uh we lost uh one one of uh <laughs> nachos uh good buddies this well, week
1: yeah i guess good buddies who's instructing him around and putting him in, in harm's way for sure r.i.p arturo uh the, the the i think only the second person that we've actually seen gus fring go hand to hand and kill in the entire breaking bad canon we know he's responsible for many many deaths but uh this is this is gus fring as a tiger shark just like uh, popping up out of the shadows and the, the, arturo is done before he even knows what's happening
0: yeah no and that was almost a vintage Breaking Bad uh, death that we got at the end of the episode Uh, pretty gruesome
1: very gruesome shot by Michelle McLaren who when you point out vintage Breaking Bad she's the director of this episode she was responsible for directing more Breaking Bad episodes than anyone else I think her total was 11 so she is uh, certainly has a I don't know what that fraction is Rob if you could reduce that Uh, 11 is a total number of Breaking Bad episodes But, but yeah she directed a large portion of that series and so she is definitely responsible for a lot of the style uh she directed one minute the episode mm-hmm. with the cousins and with hank a uh, certainly a memorable one for an action sequence uh she's had a lot of stuff like that in her breaking bad canon so it makes sense that she would be able to shoot and direct this uh, incredible uh breaking bad like death here of arturo
0: yes okay so uh let's get into talking about breathe Of course, named for uh, Gus Fring's favorite Faith Hill tune.
1: (laughs) Yep, definitely. Uh, He's a Mm -hmm. big fan for sure.
0: (laughs) Uh, (laughs) uh, You want to uh, focus on Jimmy? I feel like that Jimmy really had, you know, one, you know, big scene. And, uh, you know, not a ton to do uh, this week.
1: Yeah. Are we still calling him Jimmy? He's Jimmy, right? Like, this is not Saul Goodman yet. He's not going by Saul, but I, we had it last season end in this moment where, and Rob, in our podcast, I know we talked about, he walked all the way up to becoming Saul Goodman. He was going through this crazy scheme to get the Sandpiper settlement done. He was willing to throw uh, an old lady under the bus to get that done. He's going to be a scumbag for it. And then in the last episode, he decided, oh, I'm going to be nice again. And uh, I'm really sorry, Irene. Like I'm a bad guy. I'm going to fall on my sword here. And then Chuck dies. And then we saw Mm -hmm. what we saw last episode with Jimmy and Howard and that that's your cross to bear moment. And he's back to being cheerful. But but there's a different thing going on here with Jimmy. I know you mentioned he had the one big scene Uh, by the end of that scene. His self-loathing is on full display, I feel like.
0: Yeah, well, let's talk that through, because uh, I would love to hear what you think his motive is in all of this. And so uh, we see a uh, first uh, another breakfast scene seems like a, another uh, wake up at uh, Jimmy and Kim's. And Jimmy is uh, he's working the juicer, making kind of a mess for Kim to. I mean, that was not like the greatest uh, roommate move that he was
1: pulling Yeah, and woke her up with a noise, too, on top of everything else.
0: Yeah, but she didn't mind. She got some fresh OJ. She got some bacon as well left over for him from his breakfast sandwich. Boy, he made a lot of bacon for a breakfast sandwich.
1: He yeah, made like a pound, it looked like. This is <laughs> I don't know what kind of what kind of breakfast sandwich he's making like a baconator, but uh yeah, he really he, he's up and at him this Jimmy McGill. Uh juicy. Maybe it's bacon. for the week. Yeah, exactly. This is this is for the week's worth of bacon, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah he uh he's cheery this Jimmy McGill. He's up and at him. He's ready Morning to go. Person. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And we saw him circling things in the classified section last week and he goes up to his uh, first job interview. Uh, We noticed that Jimmy runs his fingers through his hair as he uh, pulls up at Neff Copier. Uh, Jimmy has some hairs
1: uh, in between his fingers. Yeah, Jimmy has a different haircut than Saul Goodman. Uh, Saul's got more of the comb over, maybe a toupee in play. Uh, And we see Gene, of course, uh, has a lot more hair loss. So this is, I think, just representative of the transformation from jim mcgill to saul goodman that mop flop haircut that he has is going to turn into a thinning comb over that ultimately becomes the jean look uh, that we saw on full display when he was lying on the gurney earlier in this season in that jean scene so this is uh, i think certainly representative of his transition into the saul goodman that we know
0: Okay, so Jimmy is getting like the whole backstory of uh, Neff copiers and Jimmy, obviously he has some mailroom experience, so he knows uh, what he's talking about. I thought that I got a uh, maybe when they, the guy started talking about how they're like, oh, this machine used to be made for uh, counterfeiting five dollar bills. I said, is that where this is going?
1: Yeah, Jimmy obviously has used that machine to counterfeit five dollar bills. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that that's not right. Like, how dare you? And uh, he even said, like, I had some experience with one of those back in Chicago. Well, we know, uh, including Chicago sunroofs. He did nothing good in Chicago, Rob. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So he's definitely counterfeited with that machine before.
0: I liked that uh, Jimmy talks about uh, this generation is all hacky sacks and video games.
1: Oh, yeah. Nothing ever changes, Rob. Hackey Saxon video games. We're basically there right now, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, that's about it. <laughs> and, yeah, and Tony, Fortnite.
0: We see we see a Hummel little figurine. Yeah. Uh, Alma loved figurine. Uh, can you give us the Better Call Saul backstory on these types of figures?
1: Yeah, season one, episode five, Alpine Shepherd Boy, which is the only episode from season one not to end in the letter O. I believe it's because they wanted to call it Jello. Uh, it's when Jimmy makes his transition to getting into more elder care work. Uh, he goes through. That's the one, Rob, with the uh, the talking toilet, mm-hmm. uh, and and Jimmy has he's he's basically he's got a little bit of renown from his newspaper ad or from his his stunt with the billboard, and he's getting calls now. One of the calls he gets is from this woman uh her name uh let's see her name is mrs strauss and mrs strauss she's doing she's writing she has jimmy write her will and one of the things that she's doing in her will is leaving her various figures including the alpine shepherd boy to various people in her family and that's where jimmy i think starts to learn that these things are worth some money and then in season two they shoot the commercial at her house and those goofballs that he shoots the commercials with the students from unm or whatever basically are screwing around with the figures and jimmy's like hey those things are worth money uh and she does the uh mrs strauss does that i'm ready for my close-up mr mcgill so jimmy has seen the figures from her he knows they're available she also by the way seems to be one of the clients who testified on his behalf at his bar hearing we saw her in season three as well so when i first saw that figure i thought you know i, I didn't realize what he was really looking at in this scene i had to go back to realize that and when he was talking with mike at the end of the episode i thought is he gonna rip that old lady off after every? Everything she's done for him uh, mm-hmm. no it's it's a figure that he sees here that he's ultimately going to hatch a scheme for it seems like later and he knows the value of these figures it's up for debate whether the neff family knows the value uh, when he's looking at them uh doesn't seem like it yeah he says i want to i want to drag that stuff to the dumpster it's the wall of crap he calls it so maybe mm-hmm. they don't even know what it's worth yeah, the Alpine Shepherd boy from
0: the first season. I remember seeing that like, oh, uh, boy, this seems like a real waste of time. Do you feel like that this is something that they wanted to sort of like uh, tie up a loose end that they they named the episode that? I mean, I feel like that. I remember at the time talking about how they we, they spent like the, you know, first 10, 15 minutes of that episode with him going on, you know, uh, these different calls to meet with people between uh the toilet guy and uh, the alpine shepherd boy do you feel like was that something that they went back and they wanted to tie up Antonia?
1: i mean it's possible like i said mrs strauss has become more of a figure on the show so the yeah, or figurine. In fact, <laughs> she—I uh, think that's what she is. She's like a little china doll. Mm-hmm. She has not. She's not. She has been the the thing that we kept from that episode more than anything. Other than his elder law practice, we haven't seen the toilet guy again. We haven't seen the government separatist guy who tried to pay him in his own currency. Uh, but we have seen Mrs. Strauss a fair amount. Like I said, we saw her in season two. We saw her in season three. So she's representative, I think, of his elder law practice and the reason that he transitioned to it. And and i i, I don 't know, I just think it 's something that 's been in the context of this show now throughout every season, so it makes sense in season four that we would we would touch on it somewhat. I really don 't know where it 's going though I think we 'll talk about that as we as we wrap the Jimmy talk here, but uh, it it does seem like he sees the figure and he makes a plan at some point later in the episode to maybe boost it to, to steal it because these people aren 't these people are sheep, Rob, and they don 't know what they 've got, so he may as well take it rather than have them throw it out. Mm-hmm.
0: So yeah. Jimmy ends up uh you know having this interview uh with Mr. Neff and he's very convincing <laughs> and uh you know he gives this whole spiel about how the copier is uh the the heart of every business—it's uh, the business is on life support. I thought this was interesting as compared to that we uh, see Hector in the hospital on actual life support—an uh, interesting analogy for Jimmy to use.
1: Yeah, who knows what I mean, he's making it sound like a life or death thing, right? Like he's using the most significant example. And we see more than just Hector on life support, we actually see a life and death instance in this episode. So he's using the sales technique where he makes it sound super important. And it's right at the core of it. But we see a lot of actually important things happening in this episode. Speaking of life support, and, you know, life and death matters, we know that he's still processing what's happening with Chuck. And I think that that ultimately plays a huge huge part along with his own family history in his blow up here, because you're right. He makes a very persuasive pitch. He sounds really good. I thought initially when I was watching it, that he was going to sell beyond the close. Like I thought he's got this. He needs to just walk away. They'll call him back. It's good to go. And then he walked back in and I thought he's going to screw this up for himself. Bad classic sales mistake. And in reality, Rob, he closes the deal at that point with this huge impassioned, like ka chunk, ka chunk, ka chunk speech. Hmm. I was watching with the captions
0: on and the weird thing about the captions is that there is a conversation that's basically like inaudible, like when people are whispering. But for some reason, uh, you know, the captioning is able to pick it up like there's a scene where the orderlies are uh, walking past uh, Hector's room and you can't really make out what they're saying. But the captions like uh, completely transcribe there conversation of one guy trying to convince the other guy to join a fantasy football league again i don't know why we needed that but <laughs> in when, when jimmy is looking over at uh, mr neff and the other guy talking mr
1: neff yeah <laughs> that,
0: that um i believe mr neff is saying can you imagine sending this guy out i'm like oh this yeah. isn't going well
1: this is yeah but no it was good yeah but it was good They li- they liked it they said you're hired Yeah. And uh, I mean, that's what they were saying. Can you imagine sending this guy out in a positive way? Like this is this guy will crush it like he's different. He's got a lot of energy that we can use. But Rob, that ultimately was it for Jimmy. Like the fact that that speech worked on them, it it really pushed them away. And I think there's some insight into what was happening here. Um, Bob Odenkirk himself, I think, gave some discussions with AMC on the website where he basically said, you know, I was thinking a lot about um, Jimmy's dad. And Jimmy's dad, if you'll recall, he owned that convenience store in in Cicero, Illinois, Mm -hmm. and he was a mark. Uh, All the con men would come into town and he was an easy sell. Like they would give some impassioned speech and he would immediately believe them. We saw an example of this in one of the episodes in season two, I believe, uh, where his dad uh, and I'm not sure exactly which episode, but we see the flashback of young Jimmy. A con man comes in, says he needs some help with his car. Can I get some spark plugs? Can I get some money? Whatever, whatever, whatever. And Jimmy's dad's just willing to do whatever, and that's the con man who tells Jimmy like there's wolves and sheep. Figure out which one you are, and I think Jimmy sees a lot of. According to Bob Odenkirk, Jimmy sees a lot of his dad and their their his dad's stupid sheep like attitude, easy sell uh, in in these guys, uh, and he doesn't respect that. He doesn't see that as something helpful. The second part of it though Rob is I think that his self-loathing is a huge thing here as I mentioned earlier and that really comes to the the forefront when Jimmy basically tells them like you have no idea who I am uh, and I think that he's basically saying I'm a piece of shit I'm a bad guy you don't know that about me, but I am and the fact that I was able to bowl you over means that I'll be able to always bowl you over and I'm not a guy that you want to let into your business I you the fact that you want me makes me not want to work here and make Makes me think less of you. So that's where Jimmy McGill is at in his head. It's not a pretty place to be, I don't think. And it certainly doesn't result in a good interview with Neff, but he's so all over the place that when he walks out the door, he's like, Up, oh, better go to the next interview now.
0: So I was wondering when I was watching the episode, did Jimmy want this job to begin with? Or is Jimmy just going around trying to practice his grifting?
1: That's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. It's possible. Um I'm not sure Jimmy knows what Jimmy wants. That's how I feel about what's going on with Jimmy McGill. I think he's a little bit adrift and I'm not sure that he knows what he wants ultimately. Um I still think he's covering up or pushing away a lot of his own guilt over what happened with Chuck. I think the Howard story of last week was a convenient way for Jimmy to walk away from it a little bit. But I don't think there's walking away from it and then there's actually being able to process it. And I think what we saw with Chuck, even though it's a different circumstance in terms of Chuck having an actual mental illness, Chuck couldn't just push away his feelings and push away the problems that he was having. He could act like they weren't there but eventually they were going to come back. And I kind of feel the same way about what's happened with Jimmy McGill. Like this is such a traumatic experience with Chuck. He knows that he's responsible. The insurance thing is all him. And it was totally out of spite. He can try to walk away, make as many bacon sandwiches and copier pitches as he wants. But this is still something that has to be weighing on him. So I really don't think he knows what he wants. And I think we're going to see a lot of that this season from Jimmy, a lot of the dark place, a lot of the inconsistency. uh, And I just don't think that it's ultimately going to end up with anything good for Jimmy. That's for sure.
0: Because the thing that made me think that maybe he doesn't want any of these jobs and he's just going around trying to see if he can get people to say they want him. And basically, if he's willing to lie and, you know, be as uh, slipping Jimmy as possible, he goes out and he makes the phone call. To go to the, the next interview as yeah. soon as he gets out, like uh, he doesn't take a moment to watch, like, oh, my God, what am I doing? What's what what's up? You know, he pulls out that cell phone and he's asking, are you still interviewing for a sales associate position?
1: Yeah, I, I, I mean, I didn't, I sensed that when he said, I feel sorry for both of you, I that he meant it. And I think that he's, he's dealing with a lot and you're right. He does pull his phone right out and goes out. And maybe he's got some greater plan in play where he's just practicing the grift all day long. But I think it's more along the lines of that. He's so screwed up at this point that he doesn't even really know what he wants. And he certainly doesn't want to just be wanted and he doesn't want to just be able to walk all over somebody. You know, the, the part of it is like, Jimmy's been able to con just about everybody in this show in various ways. Uh, The one person that he could never con uh, was Chuck. And Chuck, even in season one, had this preternatural way of like uh, sensing that Jimmy was lying about uh, having a good day and getting elder law clients. And that's when Chuck rushed out of his house and got the police involved uh, unintentionally by stealing his neighbor's newspaper to discover that Jimmy had pulled a slip and Jimmy prank with the with the billboard. So Chuck always knew what was behind Jimmy's issues. He knew that Jimmy had gone to the copy shop. He knew that Jimmy had switched the numbers. He knew everything that Jimmy had done he knew Jimmy would come into his house storming in to try to get the tape Chuck knew everything about Jimmy more than Jimmy did and I think the fact that Jimmy couldn't con Chuck was always a thing that really kept him uh, centered and grounded a little bit in many respects and now that's gone and if Jimmy can just walk all over people uh, I don't I think he's looking maybe to reset his world in a different way and he doesn't have that person that he can't really put one over on his relationship with Kim is very interesting in that respect and that comes to the, uh, the forefront a little bit in this episode as well, for sure. Okay.
0: We end up seeing Kim later on in the episode. She goes to HHM that there was going to be uh, some sort of a meeting with Howard, what would you officially uh, call this in the legal world, Antonio?
1: I mean, they're wrapping up the estate. Like, there, I don't know if the estate is in probate. It sounds like it, it's being administered. Uh, so, this is part of the administration of the estate. Uh, Howard is the executor, so he's handling all of his executor duties. Um, it sounds like he's having Jimmy sign some forms and things, maybe to potentially avoid it going into some kind of probate, uh, where the you know where the court has to get involved. That the court doesn't you know doesn't mean that Jimmy has to challenge the estate for the court to get involved. In some cases, the court's just going to get involved depending on how the estate was handled. So this is just Howard administering the estate. And he's he's having Rebecca sign some paperwork for the real property, for the house. uh, And he's got some other stuff to wrap up with Kim and and Jimmy. uh, And Kim is there on Jimmy's behalf. Um, We had a display for Chuck in the front of HHM. -hmm. A living reminder uh, for Kim. Remember Kim? And I think we see this come out in this this scene is carrying around a lot of guilt herself. Uh, we talked about this last week over what happened with Chuck. It caused her to have problems with her clients last season, specifically blowing up at Paige from Mesa Verde on one occasion uh, because of how they handled the situation with Chuck. It caused her to have problems with Jimmy last season so Kim feels responsible and she feels like they bullied an old sick man. And of course, she's probably feeling partially responsible for what happened with Chuck. So as soon as she walks into HHM, we have Chuck's face looking right at her a living reminder or or at least a picture reminder of everything that happened. And I think that is at least in part to blame for what we see in this scene between Kim and Howard once uh, once Rebecca leaves.
0: Antonio, can you also reset what did Rebecca know about uh, Jimmy and Kim? I know that she was on to them in some way at the end of last season when she when she came back. But what exactly did she know about them?
1: Yeah. And Rebecca's another reminder. And that's a good point, because what ultimately happened was that Jimmy sort of conned Rebecca into showing up at the hearing. And the reason Jimmy did that was to rattle Chuck. And Jimmy did that by saying to Rebecca, like, hey, Chuck's sick. Rebecca had not known about the illness until mm-hmm. Jimmy put all that out there. He used that to get Rebecca to come. When Rebecca showed up, um, Jimmy had basically said, like, hey, we need to be here for Chuck. Like, we need to we need to take care of Chuck. And she saw the breakdown. After that, she saw the breakdown. She tried to go to Chuck's house to, to help him, and he wouldn't answer the door. So she went to the Wexler-McGill Law offices, and when she got there, she saw Kim and Jimmy celebrating drinking champagne Uh, they were celebrating Jimmy's result you know ultimately that he was not going to get uh, disbarred that it was only going to be a suspension Uh, that was their big win they really weren't celebrating making a fool out of Chuck and embarrassing him but that's implicit because that was part of what happened and Rebecca really took them to task for that Uh, she said to Jimmy like you're exactly who your brother always said you were she didn't know anything about Kim but she knew Kim was complicit in that she assisted him and she was celebrating with Jimmy so she doesn't have the most positive memory of the two of them for sure the only other time she's seen Kim was at the service which she mentions in this scene and they didn't speak last week so Rebecca is also another uh living reminder of everything that happened with uh Kim feeling guilty about Chuck so she handles it pretty classily here but it's got to be on Kim's mind for sure
0: right and Kim, you know, gets very upset with Howard at the end of the scene about how Howard last week told Jimmy about his theory that Chuck, uh, you know, committed suicide and burned the house down himself. And she asks, like, hey, did you tell Rebecca your little theory? But I think in, you know, uh, Kim should, you know, know, um, doesn't realize this. But uh, if Rebecca is on to them and then puts uh, that, you know, if howard puts that thought out there into the universe i kind of feel like that uh rebecca could piece uh the the story together
1: yeah it's gonna go worse right for Kim and Jimmy not better right like she's gonna she's probably gonna put some of this stuff together or wonder it at the very least she Rebecca seems like a brilliant person yeah. uh she I don't think that Chuck McGill would have ever uh selected a mate who was anything but that and she seems like a brilliant person she's an artist uh she's a creative talent so I think she can put a lot of this stuff together in the ashes of what's happened uh, metaphorically speaking mm-hmm. and maybe she hasn't had time to process that and no Howard hasn't put that at her feet but But Howard also doesn't really know Rebecca from Adam. He's close uh, or closer with with Jimmy and Kim. So Mm -hmm. it makes some sense that he would have spoken to Jimmy and Kim about it.
0: But I I feel like that he knows Rebecca somewhat. I mean, at least in the timeline of that, you know, when the series started, you know, Rebecca's not in the picture, but, you know, Howard and Chuck worked together for uh, many years. I have to imagine, you know, that Howard, uh, you know, came by the house a bunch of times for uh, one of Chuck's dinner's. So I think that they have to I mean, he kissed her on the way out. So I thought they were uh, they were pretty close. You don't think that Kim uh, might if Rebecca is going to, you know, somehow like be around in sort of like going through uh, Chuck's estate. Do you think that she as a way to stick it to Howard might uh, tell Rebecca what Howard thinks happened? And how Howard, it was his cross to bear like, oh, you think Howard's such a great guy? Well, just so you know.
1: Yeah, maybe. Here's what I would say about Kim. I can see that happening in the context of, I think a lot of what's going to go on this season, it seems like, is potentially a story about uh, this darkness that's going to form between Kim and Jimmy, and certainly the cloud that Howard's, uh, that, that Chuck's suicide and death leave over everyone and how they're dealing with it. Uh, we saw it come to play with what happened with Howard last week and his big speech and his emotional moment. Uh, we saw it certainly have happened with Jimmy this week I think to an extent and we saw him last week uh, processing whether he was responsible you know how much guilt was implied. we don't there was a lot for debate on that but I think that Chuck's death is certainly having an impact on him I think the impact that it could have on Kim is it could take her to a darker place we made a lot of references last season to quote-unquote slipping Kimmy to the fact that Kim was getting into the grift with Jimmy that she was enjoying these things and that by the end of the season when she needed to decompress she was telling the client to go away. She was renting movies. She was just living the life that she wanted to live. And so I think it's going to be an interesting uh, story that we watch with Kim Wexler this season, uh, which is how vindictive will she get? This is a big blow up that she has with Howard that certainly is influenced by everything that's come before with her and Howard and everything that she's under a lot of stress about. But I think it's influenced, like I said, a large part by how she feels her own guilt. The key moment for this uh, in that Regard for me is when she's laying into Howard she says you did it to make yourself feel better by unloading your guilt who cares what it does to Jimmy as long as Howard Hamlin is okay and in my opinion that's exactly what she's doing to Howard Hamlin she's unloading her guilt to make herself feel better and who cares if Howard Hamlin gets upset as long as Kim is okay and I really think that that's a big part of what's happening in this scene she is accusing him of the very thing that she's doing to him in that moment and So if you're saying, could she get to the point where she invokes Rebecca somehow, or really twist the knife in on Howard by making Rebecca, you know, think that you are revealing that story of Howard's entirely possible. That's the sort of thing that could backfire wildly, but I could absolutely, I could absolutely see that happening. Now, can you
0: explain the uh, $5,000 that was left from uh, Chuck to Jimmy? Uh, What does the law say on that?
1: It's not. I think that a lot of that would vary from state to state. I don't specifically know the law in that regard. What I would say is uh, the show has made it clear that that's a specific amount that would that would generate like if you left him a dollar, if you left him a dollar, then you would say, okay, like I I have a reason to contest this. I took care of the guy for two years. Like he's my brother. A lot of what happened with that estate. I, I turned down X, Y and Z offers from HHM like I did this from my brother. We work together in this respect. I'm, I'm due more of his estate than the $1 he left me. And Jimmy could make an argument that that would have to be sorted out in court. By giving him $5,000, it's a high enough number that Jimmy doesn't really have a leg to stand on in that regard. Uh, if he didn't leave Jimmy anything or if he only left Jimmy a dollar, Jimmy might say, like, who had the influence on Chuck when he did that? Remember, the other thing about Chuck, and I, I don't think that this could come into play, but a huge thing that that happens with wills is are you of the mental capacity yes sound mind can you dispense with your property are you aware of the bounty of your estate and of of who could potentially receive it and look i don't think there's any question that chuck had mental issues i think in terms of his competency to make a will it was probably fine but jimmy could always challenge it because here's a guy with clear mental issues so i think that that's uh that's something that i think everybody would want to avoid if possible. And the $5,000 is Howard's way or Chuck's way of trying to get out in front of that. I mean, there are a lot of questions about when did Chuck change his will, if ever, like how was that done? Was that done while he was in the middle of one of his episodes? Uh, Where does that all come into play? I mean, when was the letter written that he that Howard hands over uh, to Kim that says it's for Jimmy's eyes only? Was that a suicide note? Uh, Was it written a week before the will, a month before the will? Nobody seems to know what the answer to to that is. So I think that could all come into play. I I don't know if we're going to see a huge legal drama unfolding over Chuck's will, but the $5,000 is in part Chuck's attempt to try to head that kind of legal drama off at the pass for sure.
0: So we got an email, Antonio, about the letter from one of our listeners, uh, Joshua, who wanted to know, was the note from Chuck to Jimmy what Chuck was writing when Jimmy went to see him the last time? Do you think in some way that Chuck was planning to die soon? I do remember him writing something on a yellow legal pad when Jimmy went to visit him. Antonio, am I remembering that correctly? I know you did a rewatch recently. Now, I feel like that if that was the case, I mean, that kind of feels like a suicide note. And uh, I mean, that would be more than a theory that Howard would be operating under in terms of um, thinking that Chuck might have done this himself. I I can't imagine that he wrote it that close to his demise.
1: Yeah, I don't. And I, I kind of looked back at that scene to see if I could see him writing. I, what happens ultimately is that, Chuck is waiting at the side of his desk when Jimmy comes in and Chuck really is, is by by means of confronting Jimmy in a way. And Chuck is saying like, Hey, I'm fine. I always told you I would get better. You never believe me. And then when he tells him that thing, he tells him about how I never really cared about you all that much. He goes to his desk and starts rifling through some papers by means of basically saying like, I don't want to talk to you anymore. I'm done. I'm looking at something else here. You don't matter anymore. Go away. Like, you don't, you know, we're, I'm doing some other stuff. Stuff now it 's not like this overt action where you know where that where that's happening now i don 't know if that's what he i mean it 's possible that anything we see Chuck writing over the course of the four or five episodes before the finale um, could be interpreted as this this note I think until we see what 's in the note we won 't know for sure um, whether Chuck wrote it on screen or not i don 't i don 't know that we've, if we have seen it or have not seen it i don 't think there's any obvious evidence of it in the show right now um, it's possible like I said. Anytime Chuck was writing anything over the course of the last few episodes, that could be what this is. Uh, I didn't get the impression that Chuck was suicidal uh, or was planning to die uh, until he really relapsed, until he got up out of that bed and wrote in his journal, canceled his medical appointment, and then went uh, on his bender with the the power meter. So all of that happened after the scene with Jimmy. I don't think he was writing my my to-be-released-in-the-event-of-my-death-letter before the scene with Jimmy.
0: Yeah. Also, that Jimmy has the opportunity to be on the board of the scholarship fund in uh, Chuck's name. The Human Fund, is that what it's called?
1: It's the human fund. Yes, uh, he's going to pick a C minus student uh, to get on this here. Uh, and that's what he wants to do ultimately is pick the student who's most like him. Uh, I, I, I do think I mean, I uh, my impression of this scene is that Howard is trying to do the best he can for Jimmy. I think that Howard feels genuinely bad, both because Howard feels responsible and because Howard feels bad, like he just feels for this guy whose brother died and left him in this position. and. Uh, I think Howard is trying to do right. Like, hey, yeah, you can go look through, you can take whatever personal property you want away from the house. Yeah, I want to put you on this board. Uh, yeah, I mean, I want to try to do right because he knows his brother screwed him over. Like he knows Chuck was shitty to Jimmy. And I think Howard is trying to do the best he can. But uh, it's, I, when, when Kim frames it the way she does, it doesn't sound like a great offer to me.
0: Mm hmm. Yo, it does not sound like uh, that exciting. And uh, she she turns it around in her uh, rant at the end about how uh, it's a scholarship that Chuck would have never given to Jimmy. Uh, Howard wants to know uh, at the end, uh, what can I do to make this better? Nothing. There's nothing you can
1: do. Just stay away. Stay away. (sighs) Howard. I'm team Howard in this. I really am. Like, I think, I think first of all, I think the acting uh, across the board, um, between Ray Sayhorn and, uh, Patrick Fabian here is great. It's fantastic. Uh, Michelle McLaren is a phenomenal director. Uh, and I think she got some great performances out of these actors in this episode for sure. But, uh, I just feel so bad for Howard because he's taken the blame for something that's not his fault. And, it's, I think he's trying to do right by a guy who left a lot of people in the lurch uh, and put some people in some shitty positions by treating them poorly. And if you'll recall, Howard was pretty magnanimous about when Kim wanted to leave HHM. Uh, he wanted to waive her law school debt, considered a gift. And he tried to be classy with her, but then that blew up in his face and they fought about it. Uh, I, I think Howard, his arc, it's so interesting because Jimmy is trending from the, the hero to the villain. And I think we're seeing that both play out against Kim and play out a little bit with Kim. And I think Howard is trending from the villain to the hero very slowly. And I, I love the face turn. Mm-hmm. I love the face turn for the face of Patrick Fabian. It's working really well. I feel terrible for Howard in this moment. He just got yanked out of, you know, and his, his reaction was real. Like, what can I do to make it better? That's all he wants to do is try to make this better. And Kim just says, you can't do anything because you can't, you know, Chuck really screwed Jimmy over and that's the end of it.
0: All right. Later that night, Jimmy promised he was going to bring home dinner. It looks like he went with the Thai food. Uh, Tire Mexican. Yeah. Yes. Thai. He is setting everything up. Uh, what movie uh, should they watch? Uh, uh, was it white heat or jaws
1: three? jaws 3d rob yes Yes. uh yeah yeah i think they they chose white heat which we saw play out very quickly
0: yeah so what was the impetus for the uh sudden hookup between uh jimmy and kim
1: well I, it's a good question right is it the is it the intensity of emotion that, that mm-hmm. Kim felt over that scene with howard uh is it just uh they're really kind of like death they've they've come they've had a brush with death and here we are uh I, I don't really know like maybe kim likes this version of jimmy that is uh that is out living life and trying to do well for himself not knowing what's on the other end of that but uh we don't often see the two of them be physical like that so it was uh, it was a little bit it was just a white heat rob it was jimmy cagney ultimately maybe it was the thai iced teas yeah maybe, maybe it was the goldfish rob
0: could be the goldfish i uh, in all of these shots uh goldfish is uh looming large but i don't know if it's necessarily going to be a plot point it just the goldfish to me is uh kind of like the uh the purple bear in uh season Two of uh, Breaking Bad, it's just like it's just like around a lot. It's in a lot of the shots. I still don't know necessarily like the significance of what that was, but it was sort of like a, a symbol of the season.
1: Yeah, I'm sure. I'm, there, I'm sure there's a lot of debate on Reddit about that. Uh, and you could get it. You could get on the rest of Innocence
0: hole. or something like that
1: sure Jim that like I said we talked last week about how Jimmy picked it up from that veterinarian and uh, and that was Jimmy going to the veterinarian to hire Huel to play to play that move on Chuck it it literally comes from the episode where they laid Chuck out on the carpet and eviscerated him so just like Kim did with Howard so if that is where that goldfish comes from and we saw it last season but it's blue in the water we know blue is Kim's color if you want to go with your favorite color theory Rob Mm -hmm. Um, Fire was very elemental last season. Water maybe is more elemental this season. Uh, So I don't know if that's part of it. Um, It's it's interesting, to say the least. I think it's a little bit of an avatar of, of it's like a memento, if you will, of the action they took against Chuck at that trial. And I think that every time we see it in scenes, for me, it reminds me of what they did to Chuck. And it is a constant reminder, it's a guilty remnant of what happened with Chuck and Kim and Jimmy in that trial, and I think that more than anything, that's how I'm feeling it. If you're comparing it to the Purple Bear, I feel like that means pink at some bear. point I feel Rob, like we're going to get email. Yeah, well, yeah, Pink Bear. Sorry, if if you're comparing it to the Pink Bear, that means at some point, what the tank's going to spill and Kim's going to slip on it and break her neck or something. Like, is it it's actually going to ha- be a plot point at some point? Mm, I don't know. I don't, I don't know either. I think it's more metaphoric right now. That's how I'm seeing it.
0: I agree. I agree with you. I don't think that it's going to ultimately, uh, you know, have a, uh, a a deeper meaning, but it isn't every single shot with Jimmy at his house.
1: Yeah. He's taking care of it, feeding it. It's in the foreground. It's a there's the rack focus when they're on the couch and we see it in the foreground and then it Great comes into focus. <laughs>
0: Is that a new, I
1: heard that's a new category at the Oscars. Is yes, that true? Yes. yes. We
0: went from, you know, we did the great rack focus from, we went from Jimmy and Kim on the couch to pull back, focus on the fish tank fish swims by perfect fish acting one take.
1: One take. Yeah. I mean, they call them one take fish. Like that's the way it goes. You think it's like the, the, the goldfish are also known to have a really short memory, right? Like mm-hmm. you can't, uh, and I feel like Zach Brooks on your, on your, uh, on your, on your house of cards podcast here. Like maybe that's what it is. Maybe part of it is the, the short memory and that's, you know, represents Jimmy's own short memory about what's happened in, in his affairs. Mm-hmm. Like maybe that's part of it. I don't know.
0: Yeah, do you bring that up because you need to have a, a very short memory to uh, enjoy House of Cards? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> that, that, like that?
1: I, I have no comment on the matter, Rob. I will not be making comments at this time.
0: Hey, Antonio, uh, we get then uh, post coitus. We oh boy, check in with, uh, <laughs> with 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 Jimmy. He goes to his computer, looking up Bavarian boys. What uh, like did
1: you do after coitus?
0: <laughs> that'd be a good name for a podcast, right? Bavarian boys.
1: Bavarian boys. Yeah. On all things. That's you and Akiva's new podcast, right?
0: <laughs> yes. On all things Hummel.
1: Yes. <laughs> Matt's Hummel's the soccer defender. Yeah. Like there, there's a, there's lots of op- opportunities there. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's looking up the Bavarian boy, not just the Bavarian boy. he looks on he's on some sort of like collector eBay. website and he, yeah. Hummel's Bay. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah. He sees that the figure is worth $8,700 Rob. That's a lot of money a lot of that's a lot of goldfish that's That'll a keep lot of goldfish Bavarian for a while.
0: cream <laughs>
1: <laughs> let's not after what you said earlier let's just not do that um yeah <laughs> that is it's true uh, it's true so i don't know he then goes outside in another one of the dimly lit scenes from this episode and i think it's a little late to be calling mike don't you
0: uh i think that mike is on call
1: you, Mike. Yeah, but you don't think he gets roused out of bed by like a 10 p.m. call? Like, I, I don't think Mike would be very happy to receive that call. Probably why he screened it, to be yeah. honest.
0: I, I think Mike's kind of a uh, sleep with one eye open kind of guy. I think you could reach him just at any hour of the night.
1: Yeah, he sleeps with his shoes on, probably, like Mac the Knife. <laughs> yeah.
0: So Jimmy calls up uh, Mike, and uh, he's got something for him. You're going to like this.
1: Yeah, it's got it's uh, I mean, clearly, right. He's going to have he's going to get Mike to steal the figure and then they're going to split the money. I mean, that seems to be the 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 plan. Uh, It uh, little does Jimmy know how little Mike needs four thousand dollars at this point?
0: Yeah, he might just do it just uh, for the thrill.
1: Well, maybe I, mean, I guess that would Jimmy. That's what Jimmy would have to hope, because my, my opinion on this is that Mike's not going to be interested at all. It's too much exposure for nothing. Like, why would Mike go break into this joint for 4K when he's got a high paying security consultant job now, Rob? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, Jimmy doesn't even realize, though, that he's got that uh, 5K check from Kim.
1: Yeah, that's true. And Kim does not give Jimmy the letter. Do you think that's going to back Is that going to come back? Like, obviously it is. But is that going to be a, a cause of a rift between the two of them that the letter was not given?
0: I don't think it'll cause a rift. I wonder at what point Jimmy is going to find it.
1: Yeah, I mean, because now she can't really give it to him. I mean, what, what's she going to say now? Like, oh, yeah, by the way, I forgot to give this to you. she lied.
0: She didn't say she went to the meeting.
1: Right. So I don't know ultimately what happens. Like, yeah, that's true. She never told him that she went to the meeting. I mean, she told Howard to stay away. I got to presume that Jimmy would know that she at least went to the meeting, but she hands him the letter later, Uh, he's going to say, where'd you get this? And oh yeah, Chuck left it for you. Yeah. But when did you get it? Ah, when I went to that meeting. So that was like two weeks ago. And Mm you just now giving me the letter. Like there's no good way now to give him the letter without lying to him. At this
0: point. I mean, she could be like, oh, this came in the mail. Where's the envelope? Uh, You know, it's going to be, it's going to be tricky, but uh, it does look like next week we will get our first uh, Jimmy and Mike scene in uh, some time. And you know, uh, we will have at least one towards our over under of two and a half. For the season. Uh, You're tweeting
1: at Dean Norris, Rob. I'm waiting for this. It's going to happen. Uh, I know we're one fifth of the way through the season and all, but it's going to happen. Okay. Uh,
0: Let's talk about Mike and then uh, I guess let's go through everything with uh, the Salamanca drama with Gus. Uh, Mike does not have a ton to do in uh, this episode either. Uh, We see him at the playground with Kaylee. He gets a phone call. And he uh, t- says, uh, you know, he can be there. Uh, and Kaylee, uh, she's such a negotiator. She wants five more minutes. Yeah.
1: Okay, one more minute. Yeah.
0: Come on. <laughs> Kaylee, you're really going to cause me clock. a problem. Well, little
1: does Kaylee know like this. She last time she sees pop pop later is going to be around a swing set. Like it's definitely an echo of their uh, of their final scene together in Breaking Bad. So um, she's been swinging on that swing set, Rob, for like six years at this point. Maybe it's like some kind of time turner. Like she's unaging as she's doing it. (laughs) Mike has a meeting with Lydia. Uh,
0: Lydia wants to know, what are you doing? What's wrong with you?
1: yeah and Mike says Lydia why didn't you turn on the lights when you came into this room Uh, yeah it's a pretty cool set it's in the dark Uh, Lydia must not like the fluorescence Uh, really really dimly lit scene here uh, in an empty conference room a very cool setting and location and Mike basically says what we kind of talked about last week like this is a good cover for him he needs to feels like he has to establish his backstory if there's ever a question about it he can say I did work like look what I did I provided value." You, I went to these locations. I pointed out these problems. If anyone ever asks asks about any of this stuff, like it's going to be above board. And it's very interesting because to me, one of the big stories about Mike in Better Call Saul, of course, has been is he's been half measures. Mike, uh, he's been the guy who would rather let Tuco beat him up rather than get more money to kill him. Uh, he's done this a lot uh, throughout the course of the 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 series of Better Call Saul. It culminates at the end of season. Two. Too. he's ready to kill Hector Salamanca when Gus stops him. But I do wonder if this is Mike saying, like, you know what? I'm not sure exactly how much of a criminal I want to be. And so I'd rather just be above board as much as possible. And that's that's ultimately what he wants to do with Lydia. I don't know. I mean, ultimately, he doesn't want to keep stealing badges. But I think we have a solution for that.
0: So we see Lydia saying like, uh, you know, uh, what if I told you to, uh, you know, reconsider what you're doing? Uh, Mike has a good line. He says to her, well, I
1: tell you to consider the same. Consider the same. <laughs> <laughs> How do you argue with that guy? What do you, I mean, what do you say in response to that guy? She does exactly the right thing, which is walk the hell out of the room. Like, what do you say? Like they, this guy's a brick wall. Like mm-hmm. he's, he watches minor league baseball games for fun, Rob. Like <laughs> this is not a guy who you're going to find too many weak spots with. He can handle a bunch of punishment yeah. and torture.
0: Is Mike scouting prospects? Is that his dream job?
1: Oh, he wants to be like a, like some kind of cross checker, like an area cross checker in the Southwest. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Yeah. maybe. You think he's a big VORP guy, Rob? Like he's a big war guy? He's big in advanced statistics? He's a gut guy, huh? He is
0: like the guys in Moneyball that are like, oh, he's got an ugly girlfriend. Uh, (laughs) Low self confidence. (laughs) Don't draft him. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> now listen yeah <laughs> if you want to take the right player yeah he's, he's you're right he's exactly those guys He's the old grumpy scouts uh, and jonah hill is going to tell him how to do his job and he's going to hate every second of it yeah i'd like to see we should reshoot Moneyball ball with mike yeah? <laughs> mikey ball let's do it
0: <laughs> okay so uh, uh we're gonna see lydia call up uh gus uh, because uh she told mike like look you have gus fring's respect right now like uh don't screw it up uh she calls gus and he's outside cleaning up very tidy gus uh and uh she spoke to the security contractor and he's gonna do what he's gonna do
1: yeah and uh gus's response is so great uh give the man a badge like it's just like you know what i don't have time to deal with your nonsense lydia like i i like the guy you can trust him give him a badge and shut up like i don't want to deal with this uh, i have more important problems to deal with and he definitely does uh this episode begins rob in, in a very interesting way another dark scene uh we see the doctor from gus's free clinic in mexico who he sent mike to to get the drugs to pin on the Salamanca's uh, with the shoe incident uh, last season. And this is also the doctor who comes into play very significantly in Breaking Bad when Gus uh, has a run in with the cartel in Mexico. This is clearly a doctor that Gus keeps on his payroll, and Gus has sent him to surreptitiously in the, you know, in the middle of the night look into what's happening with Hector Salamanca. And this is in the cold open. The doctor basically says, like, hey, um, might it be different? if he was in the care of someone from, say, like Johns Hopkins? Sure, perhaps, but it might not make a difference. And then what do we see later in the episode, Rob? But a doctor from Johns Hopkins magically showing up.
0: Now, are we clear on what Gus wants? Do we know that Gus, uh, obviously, that uh, he is in this war with the Salamancas, but he doesn't want Hector to die. But does he want him in... Some sort of vegetative state like what what is Gus looking for here?
1: I think he wants Hector to be fully aware of his circumstances in life because ultimately he wants to torture Hector before he kills him. I don't think he, Hector in a vegetative state is no good for Gus Fring because he wants Hector to know exactly what is coming to him and why. And he wants him to suffer through it when it's happening. This is Gus Fring's fatal flaw, as we know uh, and everything that he's doing in these actions to take care of Hector, to save his, brain cells to put him in a position where he can actually communicate in some way shape or form and when he understands what's going on around him and he's not comatose or brain dead all of this is going to backfire spectacularly on Gus Fring Uh, and we know this if you know from from what we've seen but this is his fatal flaw for sure is that he wants to torture and punish Hector Salamanca and he wants Hector to be brain awake enough to be aware of it I decide what he deserves he says no one else Uh, when and the doctor's basically saying, like, you know what? Let this guy go. This is what he deserves. Let him have this ending. I mean, then then Gus is like, no way. Like, he ends when I say he ends. He ends on my terms and no one else's. If we if you think about the flashbacks from Breaking Bad, we know why this is. We know how Gus was treated and someone who Gus maybe loved uh, was treated at the hands of Hector Salamanca in part. So of course, Gus wants to exact his revenge. This is a lifelong revenge plot or at least a decades long revenge plot from Gus Frank he does not want Hector to not experience the punishment that he ultimately wants to deliver him when it's all said and done and appropriate to do so so that's why he wants him awake
0: Antonio does Gus like is this something that Gus had in mind for a long time or does he realize well, we're going to see what happens with Nacho At the end of the episode, does he feel like, oh, okay, well, this is actually uh, a good idea of if we could somehow revive Hector and have him be in uh, this very diminished state. Oh, that would be, you know, a great torture for Hector if we could do that uh, like I I just want to know like what is the agency of Gus in terms of like what was he planning on executing and is he now improving on what his ultimate grand plan was for Hector
1: it's a good question, because well, we, we saw what Gus ultimately does with the cartel. We know how that plays out. Uh, and that is a, a masterstroke of a plan. Uh, it is pretty quick, but it is a masterstroke of a plan, to be sure. Uh, I don't think that Gus ever wanted Hector to be incapacitated like this. I think what, what Gus is trying to do right now is make a pollo salad. Like he's trying to really improve uh, the situation based on what Nacho did. I don't think Gus is happy all you know he stopped Mike from taking Hector out I don't think he's happy that Gus that Nacho tried to take him out and had he known he would not have let that happen because I don't think he wanted uh, Hector in this state I think he's trying to make the best of a bad situation right now I don't think he's trying to get Hector into position where he can suffer the most by being the most awake but also the most incapacitated I think he wants Hector to recover like I think he wants him to recover enough that he can later torture him and really make him suffer and I think that that I don't think it's about getting him into a state where he can't speak and he's in a chair and can only ring a bell I think it's about trying to get him as better as possible it is interesting though because when we see Gus in this episode later uh, and he he is when he goes inside after he gets the call from Lydia he's got his hand on the table and you see the close-up of his hand he's got his finger out it almost looks like he's ringing the bell there oh Uh, I thought that was I thought that was an interesting visual connection Uh, he looks I think Think at what are probably... Reports. Hector's health reports that indicate uh, Nacho's guilt because it's right after looking at those reports that he's like, okay, no, get Victor. We're going like and we're going to go take care of this Salamanca issue right now. And so I think he knows ultimately he's seen medical reports that indicate that Hector didn't have the medicine that he thought he had in him at that point. And he, he has already seen his henchman has already seen Nacho throwing something out. So I think he knows at that point when he once he read those medical reports, he knows what nacho did
0: okay we see a scene with nacho with uh papa at the uh (laughs) (laughs) pulsters
1: and (laughs) pulsters
0: that's what they should call it and uh he's getting his money out for uh collection day because i guess hector's guys are coming by and nacho says it's over you don't have to do this anymore and uh papa is not that excited
1: yeah, I th- I think that might be, I'm not sure if that's the money that Hector left uh, Papa. It, the interesting thing about it is Papa lays the money out in the exact same way. Three little piles that Hector did when he was trying to bribe him and Papa wasn't having it. Uh, and I thought the way that was framed was really good. We had Papa on the left side, the money in the middle and Nacho on the right side. The money was this, you know, in the space between the two of them. So I think that works really cool. Uh, and yeah, Papa it's not he was obviously never happy about what was happening with nacho and the salamanca's and he says to nacho like when is it over for you and nacho says like i'm i'm trying like i i'm working on it and, and by the end of this episode nacho has no hope at this point like he's done like i whether he dies or not i don't know but he certainly is not getting out of it at this point
0: yeah uh no way out for nacho uh back at the hospital we see the cousins uh from oh, yes. breaking bad uh they're here incidentally
1: <laughs> do the cousins have names yeah i think they're just called the Mancadas. uh i'm not sure if they have first names or not but i think i believe they're called the Mancadas. and they uh shark
0: dressers always
1: they're oh yeah like shark skin suits like it's just shiny like uh they're in the, the boots uh, i i got to imagine that doctor she's all business when she comes in and she's great uh but she's probably like wondering like who are these guys like they they look very similar they're pretty intimidating uh, they have these boots with the skulls on mm-hmm. these suits like what am i dealing with here who is this guy but she doesn't seem she doesn't seem to like let that phase her at all she's all business and, and handles the room when she comes in she definitely uh, Gus's investment in Johns Hopkins has paid off uh, she just shows up randomly and she's going to run the show and say like we're going to get his brain working again and I, I thought this was really funny right she says like you have to talk to him and when she leaves the room the cousins are basically like speak like you do it mm-hmm. uh, Arturo so that I laugh they're really hard they're not very at chatty the cousins no, they don't have much to say. That, that would have been a funny moment to see what they would possibly have come up with to say. We know from the Breaking Bad timeline that, uh, and in flashbacks that uh, that that Hector really wasn't the, the best uh, uncle to them. So, uh, who knows in that respect? But uh, but yeah, we see these these forced words uh, bedside here. Uh, poor Nacho, Michael Mando, great work, uh, basically saying like you're going to get through this and be stronger than ever. And he's very upset about this that that he thinks Hector might recover. He does not seem pleased about this in w- one bit.
0: Yeah, he says uh, that you're going to uh, get better and you're going to beat this and be stronger than ever.
1: Yeah, and he's like holding back rage and tears when he's saying it. Like Nothing this guy has tried has really worked out well for him. He tried to rip off the Kettleman's in season one. That didn't go well for him. Uh, He tried to take Tuco off the board in season two. That did not go well for him, especially because he picked Mike and it didn't really work out. He's made this play against Hector. It should have worked. It didn't work, and now Hector might recover. Like Nothing that Nacho has tried uh, has really worked out for him. It's a pretty tragic story of a criminal uh so here we are uh and it's not going to work out for him uh when nacho when gus finds out what he did uh we get to the scene where they're going to do the pickup This is like the pickup of last season where Hector said, you know what? You're going to get six instead of five. Like you tell them you want six and see what happens. And they did that last season. So Arturo decides he's going to do it again. And I don't think this is what sealed Arturo's fate. I think they, I think Arturo was dead the minute they walked in there. Don't you, Rob?
0: Yeah, it it was ominous.
1: Yeah, it just didn't seem like it was going to go well. I wasn't sure if he was going to die immediately, but uh, I just thought, you know what? Like, this is not going to end well for this Arturo guy. He's really sticking his neck out. Let it go with five. Let it go with five. Be Mm -hmm. kind. Be happy. Just walk in and walk out. Mind your own business.
0: Let me ask you this question, Antonio. Uh, If they went in, standard pickup. We're here for five. Here you go. Uh, Nice doing business with you. Is Arturo still getting uh, plastic bags?
1: Yes, I think so, don't you? Yeah, I should have asked for seven at that point. (laughs) Right, Give us 10. Right. uh, Yeah, give me 50. why they put up such a fight? Uh, Like, okay, all right, six. All right, uh,
0: good doing business with you guys. Okay
1: yeah I do think he was dead I mean the bag was ready like I don't think the bag was because I think the bag was so that Gus could get Nacho under his thumb Mm -hmm. once Gus knew that he had this information on Nacho and once Gus knew what Nacho had done and he suspected it last season in the aftermath of the incident when Nacho was stepping up and saying here's his medicine and Gus was looking at like now why is this guy getting involved I think at that point like Gus had reason to be suspicious he acted on a suspicion he had nacho trailed he saw him doing suspicious stuff with medicine and then he got the reports that made him realize what nacho had done and he thought this is a guy that I can exert some influence over this is a guy who I can control I can make him mine I own him now so I better kill this other guy who I don't have that over so I think Arturo was dead the minute Gus read that paper and walked out of Los Pueblos Hermanos
0: okay so we see Gus get the jump on poor Arturo and uh can't breathe. Uh Nacho has to sit there and watch it. And Gus tells him, I know what you've done. The Salamancas, uh do not. Do you
1: understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Bad. Intimidating. Not Scary. Good. Not good. Not good. I mean you just watch this guy. He looks so mild-mannered. He's so mild-mannered that he can hide in plain sight from the DEA forever. Mm. And he's a monster. Yeah. I mean, we saw what happened every time we see uh, I think his name's Victor on the screen. Uh, I'm reminded of Box Cutter. I'm reminded of what happened uh, with Gus Fring in Breaking Bad. And I don't need to see that scene ever again in my life to have it present in my visual memory. Mm-hmm. Like it is. This is a monstrous dude. And I think it's cool to see him act that way but it's also super intense and uh, God I mean Nacho has got to be scared to death at this point like he just traded an insane like asshole for a legitimate like psychopath like this guy's Tuca with a brain like he's a murderer and he's full of rage but he's able to keep it coiled up like uh, I don't think Nacho has ever in all of his Salamanca world antics ever really seen what a Gus Fring can be like and I think Lydia is always saying to Mike like you don't know who he is like you don't really know anything about Gus Fring you really better be careful blah, blah 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 we're seeing Nacho learn about Gus Fring this isn't the guy who calmly you know in meetings uh re- responded the way he has who just saved Hector's life this is a murderous psychopath and Gus is and Nacho has seen that now and it's terrifying but here's the thing
0: what does Gus want with Nacho?
1: I think Gus ultimately wants to control all the territories. Like he wants to control the Salamanca territory and he wants to control the Gus Fring territory. What we know from the Breaking Bad timeline is that when we flash forward and we see Tuco in season one and we see Hector at the end of season one, uh, these guys seem pretty low level. Hector's living in like a shack in the desert. Mm -hmm. Um, He has a pretty shitty wheelchair. Like he doesn't, he has, it doesn't even seem like he has heat or air conditioning. Tuco is like a low level player that even like a, even like a Jesse uh, can be loosely connected to. So I think Gus probably gets what he wants at the end of the day. Uh, which is dominion and control over these territories that were shared. Um, I think he wants them both. Uh, If he acts on his own, if he doesn't like machinate his way into getting them both, then I think the cartel would be upset with him. That's not how they do business. Uh, That upsets a huge family, the cousins, all of them Uh, keep in mind that uh, the Gus is able to call off the cousins in season three. Um, Gus has some control over them by that point. So I think Gus becomes uh, this, this, sort of boss uh, at some point or has some more control over what's happening uh, I don't think Hector's a big player anymore um, and I think that Gus ultimately gets what he wants but I think he needs Nacho to do that in a back channel kind of way rather than in a way that will cause Gus problems with the cartel because if he makes affirmative moves against the Salamanca turf that's going to cause problems for Gus if he does it in subtle ways and he does not in ways that ensure that they're going to play into his hands I think that works better for him and his ultimate goal. So I think that's what's going on.
0: Antonio, let me give you a question from our great friend, Johnny De Silvera, who wants to know a uh, great episode. Can't wait to hear you two recap it. Is Nacho going to survive this season or is he going to cross Gus with his obsession to kill Hector one too many times? All right, Antonio, uh, what is your bet? Will Nacho make it to season five?
1: yeah i think you will um I think you will and there's a couple things in play there first of all Saul when he's in the desert with Walt and Jesse in season 2 he asks uh, and I, it might have been Johnny who was harping about this from the beginning of no it wasn't Johnny because Johnny didn't watch Breaking Bad mm-hmm. but it was somebody else who was harping yeah. on like uh, like hey, was Ignacio yeah. yeah was that was that Nacho so if as far as Jimmy knows or as Saul knows if Nacho is still alive yeah, I think, that, then, I think
0: uh, the, the, the line he says uh, is that uh, it did Ignacio send you that Uses the formal yeah. uh, version yeah. of Nacho,
1: but we know it's the same guy. Yes. And he, you know, or he says, or he says, I think maybe he says, I didn't do it. It was Ignacio. So I don't know exactly what he says, right. but at the end he of the day. name checks him so if he's still around and and to the point where he's getting name checked because Jimmy thinks that might be why he's in the desert then he might live that's the first reason I would say the second reason I would say is why would you get rid of Michael Mando unless you absolutely had to Mm -hmm. love this guy like I love the the Nacho story stuff with his dad is great it does though in favor of what Johnny's suggesting or asking about this the scene with Papa suggests like he's living that Godfather 3 life and I'm not talking about Sofia Cohen. I'm talking about like, just when I thought I was out, they pull me back in. Like if he's really trying to walk his way out of this, maybe do one last job, like that kind of trope. Like if he really wants out, I feel like that ensures that he's not going to get out. And if that's the story they're introducing with Nacho from the jump here that he's trying to get out, like it's not going to end well for him because those people in in shows like this that try to get out that don't want to be involved anymore, they usually end up dead.
0: Maybe a safer bet is Nacho's dad is not going to make it out of season four.
1: God, Rob, why (sighs) unspeak that, man? I can't handle that. Like that actor has so much charisma. (laughs) yeah yeah papa papa is so much charisma there's so much sadness and, and emotion in him like that would that would be pretty heartbreaking for me if papa bit it so i don't know are you suggesting rob we had a tweet uh we had <laughs> we had a tweet sent to us i don't think this was the real taron armstrong who sent us this 10 at tender taron tender, uh, tender Terran said where is the better call Saul death draft rob are you taking Papa with your first pick? This is not a show that has a lot of deaths.
0: I mean, I don't think we would have drafted Arturo. I mean, uh, what have been sort of the, the really notable character deaths that we've had on this show?
1: Definitely. Chuck is the biggest but, yes, one, right? Uh, yes. And, Chuck. Yeah. But that's not like a gangland style. Yeah, three
0: seasons of building up to Chuck
1: yeah we lost marco but again marco was not a gangland style slang it was mm-hmm. just like a random dude who uh that actor they i think is mel rodriguez I, I i can't remember his name they wanted they would have kept using him forever but uh i think they know that they can get him occasionally and they'll use him in flashback uh i'm how, trying to I think mean, how who many else... people are
0: really in play uh not nacho uh kim. howard kim yeah uh that, that papa.
1: papa I mean uh, you can't take, you're not going to take
0: Jimmy you're not going to take Mike Poor. you're not going to take Gus so uh, you're not gonna take Lydia. You're not gonna
1: take Kaylee. You're not yeah. You're not gonna take Lydia. You're not gonna take. Uh, I mean, you're not gonna take Kaylee's Kaylee's mom, I guess. Uh, so yeah, there aren't too many people. Um, uh, it's a good question. A Francesca's not going anywhere, Rob. Mm-hmm. Like Hule's not going anywhere. Uh, yeah, I guess you could take Howard. I don't know. You're right. Like there aren't great deaths. The, Papa is the one now that you've put on my radar because if you're gonna kill characters, I think the mark has always been on Nacho from the beginning of the show because he wasn't one of the Breaking Bad characters so you always wonder okay if they ever have to kill a guy like that's a guy that the crosshairs could be on along with Chuck along with Kim like these are people that we what What about Gene Rob could we see the death of Gene
0: yeah I think we could but not for some
1: time not, not in season we're not 4 see that this season right yeah we're not going to see that this season what about the goldfish
0: goldfish is a very good chance I would to, to not make it through season
1: 4 well, the, all they have to do is go out of town on a vacation and have their neighbor feed it, and it'll be dead in like two days. Because that's what happened with all my goldfish. Yeah, they don't when I make it that kid. long. Yeah, exactly. They don't. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. I, I really don't see too many. Maybe the nefs are going to bite it, Rob, and some botched robbery.
0: Maybe, maybe. Uh, we also <laughs> got an email from one of our listeners, Andrew, who says, Hey guys, I love better call Saul, but man, this season seems even slower than ever. They cram 20 minutes of content into 60 minutes of show. I really hope the figurine heist isn't the whole plot point of the season. <laughs>
1: if it is Rob like we're gonna run out of stuff to talk about for sure Mm -hmm. like uh, I don't see how they could set that up over the course of the whole thing Uh, yeah this is always the complaint about Better Call Saul right like the pacing of Better Call Saul and the narrative pacing of Better Call Saul in terms of getting Jimmy to the point where he's Saul Goodman is like the number one running joke on Reddit I know uh, and probably elsewhere on the internet like oh he's Saul Goodman now guys like oh now he's gonna be Saul and everyone was sure last week when he he told Howard and you know it's your cross that that was Saul Goodman we finally saw as we saw Saul Goodman and it's like oh no now he's maybe he's still Jimmy McGill like he's still feeling it a little bit like I don't so the pacing of this show has always been critical uh, as I remarked last podcast when I rewatched it for like the third or fourth or fifth time however many times through some of those montages Rob are just like yeah. a, like they're fun and they're really well made but you can only see them so many times before you're like man I forgot how long these things were and I forgot how many there were we have, have have we seen a great big montage in in the first two episodes here I don't think we have
0: no big montage is uh to date in season yeah, 4 yeah so hey andrew
1: you got something to look out for buddy there's wait for episode three when we've got a 10 minute montage Oh, i guess we had mike looking in the uh we had the mike montage of his security work but i think everyone enjoyed that one so (laughs) we need we need a montage of like lydia like going out uh, about office tasks or something so people are like wait a minute now do we really need this lydia's picking out her outfits like what does this matter Mm
0: mm-hmm Yeah, it's just so weird when you look at it in comparison to Breaking Bad, which was, you know, especially once you get into like the third season on. It is just so much momentum from episode to episode. Uh, There's so much going on. There's very little wasted energy in that show. And this show, while, you know, it's always interesting, there's just not in a hurry to get anywhere.
1: No, and now we 've got the news that that the podcast i 'm sorry the show or maybe the podcast <laughs> has been renewed for season five and uh, and by renewing it for season five, they did not announce that it was the final season. I mean it could be the final season we don 't know um, they may at a later date say that it just because they didn 't say it now doesn't mean it won 't be, but I, they're they're now making this show who knows how long mm-hmm. um, you podcast about a couple shows here, Rob, on AMC that I think a lot of people wonder like how long could they go on and don't they have to fundamentally change if they go on for too long and why are certain characters still on the walking dead and so forth and so on. Um, It makes you wonder like, what do they want out of uh, out of better call Saul? How long do they want to keep making it? Do they want if it goes through into like the sixties and it will have lasted longer than the original show, Mm -hmm. which I don't, I don't think makes a ton of sense, but uh, there are a lot of opportunities for them in that gene world to really tell longer stories. And I just, I wonder if they're waiting to figure out exactly how long it's going to go before they kick it into the next gear. I don't know. And again, as you've observed, like we know so many of these characters survive. mm -hmm. What does the next gear even look like for this show at the end of the day?
0: Yeah. Uh, we don't know, but I guess I think it's the
1: gene gear. I think it's the gene gear.
0: We're on, we're on board for the ride. If you want to email us uh, during the show or after you watch it, uh, BCS at postshowrecaps dot com. Of course, you can subscribe to our podcast feed at postshowrecaps dot com slash bcs iTunes, and of course, uh, you can listen to uh, everything we're doing in. The dedicated poster recaps feed, which includes hearing Antonio Mazzaro talking about the sinner as well at posterrecaps.com/slash iTunes.
1: Yeah, we have to announce uh, this week Josh and I will not be talking about the center episode 3. Uh, Josh is uh, indisposed at the at the moment uh, and we'll have to do a double episode next week. So look out for that. Um, if we get an opportunity to, we may, you know, revisit that, but we we'll, at this point we're going to do a double episode next week. Okay.
0: Is there anything else on the Better Call Saul front you want to touch on?
1: Well, I mean, you you made a very persuasive argument for why a death draft doesn't make a ton of sense, which I did not expect. Uh, I thought you were going to ready. I thought you were going to be ready to tell me that uh, you picked Papa the goldfish, <laughs> and uh, and you know, it's a recipe uh, for some,
0: disappointment. Better call Saul, death draft.
1: Yeah, because like the the biggest death in the show is Chuck and we all saw it coming uh, for a while. And in many cases, people were rooting for it actively. So, yeah, I really don't want you to pick Papa and wish that into being. I'll be very sad about that. Papa sounds like something that the Bavarian boy would be saying.
0: (laughs) Papa, Papa, don't steal me.
1: (laughs) What is this you want me to steal?
0: Uh, A Bavarian
1: boy? (laughs) what are there no baseball cards (laughs) yeah oh my gosh I I just I don't think Mike is gonna be in on this at all that's I'll I'll be interested to see how that plays out because I really Mike doesn't really like Jimmy to begin with Mm. I don't think and I really don't think he's gonna stick his neck out for this 4k I think Jimmy needs that money a lot more than Mike
0: maybe it's not gonna be like a straight-up heist like Mike goes in there at nighttime like maybe that they're gonna uh, have Mike go in there and be like some sort of a Junk collector of like, hey, we're having a collection. If you want to get rid of anything, I'll have a dumpster out front from two to four.
1: (laughs) (laughs) He would be very convincing in that role, I must say. (laughs) (laughs) And then, yeah, Uh, you sure you don't need any of this stuff? Yeah, don't you have any figurines or anything? <laughs> Maybe old trophies that are related to bowling leagues and no one cares about? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that could happen. That could happen. You're right. Maybe that's what it's going to be. I still don't think Mike's going to be very interested in doing yeah, he that. He has nothing
0: to do during the day. If, if Kaylee <sighs> has school, then you know, he's up for the odd job here and there.
1: What happened to Anita, Rob? What happened to his uh, possible love interest? Uh, I we think never- she wanted too much money. <laughs> the actress you yes. mean yes not anita herself <laughs> yes, they yeah. couldn't get
0: anita on under contract for uh season four
1: yeah i guess that makes sense uh but we, we can find another one you know write another love interest in there like i like need new uh, love interest guys yeah. I want some white heat of my own. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, that doesn't make a lot of sense actually. Uh, but, uh, but at the end of the day, uh, I feel like, I feel like you're right. Mike's bored. So maybe, but I just think he hates Jimmy. I don't know why he would do it. And it just seems so anti Gus Fring. Uh, and I don't is Jimmy Jimmy's just going to get five K from Chuck. Uh, does he really need, I think Jimmy just wants to run the grift. I think he's, he's bored too. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see. Uh next time on uh Better Call Saul uh, season three of episode four, uh, entitled Something Beautiful, like a Bavarian Boy Statue.
1: <laughs> I always knew that you liked that sort of thing. Yes. Uh yeah, no problem. Yeah, something beautiful. This one was called Breathe. Obviously, we know why. Uh something beautiful, um, who knows? That could be could be any number of things. All
0: right. Follow Antonio Mazzaro on Twitter. He is at A.C. Mizarro with two Zs and one R. I'm at Rob Sestronino. Take care, everybody. Have a good one. Bye.